Hello, and welcome back to the Grief Trails podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Kernahan from Remembergrams, a small business dedicated to helping you support those in your life experiencing grief. I hope you'll consider sending someone a personalized card or grief support box. Shipping within the U.S. is always free, and we treat each order with special care, paying attention to every detail. Today on the podcast is Sarah Rocasano, founder of Embolden Adventures, allowing her to travel the world as a public speaker, adventurer, storyteller, and author. She's visited over 42 countries and explored more than half of the U.S. It hasn't always been this way, though. Sarah worked intense hours in a very different sort of life for nearly a decade while working in the financial industry on Wall Street. It was the loss of that career, burnout, and trying to rediscover her identity that led to the life she's living now. This isn't the typical story we hear on the podcast, but the fact is grief happens with many of life's unforeseen events, a common one being the loss of a job. Just this past week, I saw the sad news that my undergraduate college is abruptly closing its doors after 103 years, leaving hundreds of faculty and staff facing unemployment just before the holidays. It's a story we hear too often, but an emotion and experience that we don't share nearly enough. I've witnessed family members get laid off and have felt the effects of job loss in my own home, and it unmistakably leads to grief. We grieve the identity we had created of ourselves that is so often tied to occupation, and we grieve the stability we had prior to the loss. But how we face it and where we go from there is sometimes more expansive than we realize. And this is the root of Sarah's story. From Wall Street to the world. Let's take a listen. Well, wow. It's an ongoing journey, as they say. I know journey is a word that's kind of overused these days, but in my case, it was. It has been, and it continues to be. I'm a 20-year veteran in the renewable energy and finance industry. Mm-hmm. I had grown my career across multiple aspects of industry related to this particular focus. I started out as an investment banker on Wall Street. And almost 20 years later, it's been quite an adventure in a lot of ways, both good and bad. I've changed as a person, I think, for the better. I've become emboldened, which is my you know favorite word of my passion project that is Emboldened Adventures. And that was born out of this adverse time of constantly losing my job over and over and over again. So I'll take you back to that time in 2004. I worked on Wall Street. I was an investment banker and I was there for nine years. And when I started in 2004, you know, I was a, a green shoot, you know, young kid right out of college. And I got to grow as the industry had changed and transformed. So much so, I got to witness the 2008 financial crisis firsthand. And we all know what had happened. The stock market crashed tremendously. You know, it was a global disaster from a financial standpoint. And then it ultimately, made its way onto Main Street. So Wall Street got, you know, was challenged and collapsed. And then Main Street, you know, ultimately suffered and had a lot to do with subprime mortgage and overextension of debt and frothiness of markets. And, you know, being a banker at the time, I was covering the financial institution space. So in particular, that's banks, insurance companies, asset managers who run mutual funds, portfolios, things like that financial technology companies, and specialty finance companies. So for us, we had a frontline view 
of what was happening because these were our clients that were hemorrhaging cash. Yeah, having massive financial difficulty because markets were cratering. And it wasn't just the equity markets, it was the debt markets. And it was very interesting times because, you know, a lot of the senior management across the world in this, you know, top tier global investment bank I was working at at the time, nobody knew what to do. It was a very unprecedented time. So that wasn't the reason why I lost my job, though. I transitioned from that space into the renewable energy industry. I worked for the utilities group and started covering these startups and other sort of entities that were related to developing wind farms, solar farms, you know, sort of creative opportunities in in this renewable space. And then at this point, renewable energy was still very nascent. Mm -hmm. And so I was really felt called to get into the industry. To me, it made a ton of sense because your inputs are free, right? Renewable inputs that are nature, free air that, you know, powers the wind turbine. Uh, You know, you got hydro, you got uh, solar, right? Sun's free. And so for that, financially, if you were to crunch your numbers for a project, that ultimately makes a lot more sense. But it was a tough opportunity to kind of break through, as we know, and it still is even to today, because the competition, the traditional energy markets are heavily subsidized and are heavily entrenched. And that embarked on a lot of job loss because there was a lot of effort, a lot of intention, but in order to disrupt a massive market, there's a lot of pushback and a lot of inertia. And while I started out on the finance side, I was on the sell side, you know, Wall Street, I moved over to the buy side. So I lost my job in this particular investment bank in 2012 because they were ultimately going through some major changes and the bank itself was transforming in such a way where, you know, you let go people that, you know, people are the capital that they have as a a variable point. There's not much overhead at a bank. It's mainly the people that are costly. So being a banker, it was just a matter of time of being let go. But I'll quickly go through and then I can take a step back because a lot of this has to do with my travel, uh, love of travel. So, you know, the times of adversity, there were times of travel and the times of difficulty, there were times of travel. And so this kind of understory of travel really starts to show up front and center in my life today, but not knowing that the hardships I was enduring all along was setting me up for success now. So, you know, I went over to the private equity side after I lost my job on the sell side. And there was challenges there too. Culture fits, difficulties getting investment dollars put to work. Uh, We were not competitive from an investment standpoint. Also too, just like I mentioned, the culture, there was kind of a toxic culture in the firm I was at. So I ultimately found out I got fired, um, which was a very difficult experience. But from that point, that started a two and a half year period of being unemployed. Wow. Yeah, that this is where the grief really is hitting the rubber, right? The rubber meets the road. Because, you know, here I am, I own my apartment in New York City, Midtown Manhattan. I'm the only breadwinner because I live in a one bedroom by myself. And I lost my job in an industry that's still very much transforming and no real new opportunities are existing at the time. We're talking 2015 to 2017. So in that time frame of trying to put pennies together, having optimism, every time I send a resume out, you know, constantly getting rejected, one rejection after another, you know, I was at to the point where my savings were on fumes, you know, the mortgage payment needed to be made. And I'm here I am like really getting close to the wire in terms of like maybe defaulting, you know? Right. And so, I mean, just to add, like Manhattan is 
extremely expensive. So you were living in one of the most expensive cities that you can live in, in the US and not having a job for that amount of time. Like I applaud that you were even able to make those pennies meet together because for so many people in the country, we don't have savings that will sustain us for these kinds of hardships. So the fact that you were able to make things work for any amount of time is just incredible because everyone talks about it. You know, you should be putting the money into your savings and no, not everyone is able to do that. So yeah, the Manhattan thing adds a whole nother level. Oh, sure. I mean, we're talking 57th Street, Midtown Manhattan, right? Like, right. I mean, Fifth Avenue, you know, I've lived in New York City for 20 years. Fifth Avenue is the most expensive per square foot of real estate you'll find in the the country, especially that particular stretch, you know, on 60th Street up to Central Park. You have all these flagship stores from around the world and every single tourist you could imagine back to the travel part, right? You will walk down Fifth Avenue and go shopping. So that is a critical place where as a marketing ploy for some of these companies, it's important to have a foothold there. But generally speaking, it's the highest real estate you know, per capita. So yeah, I mean, if you could just kind of extend it out a few blocks and woohoo, there I am, you know? So yeah, I I struggled for a long time. I mean, I saw some dark days, dark days and yeah, I was smart. You're right. Like I I had the wherewithal, right. To think ahead and, and be smart. And, you know, that's one of the benefits of being in finance. Like you do know a thing or two about how important savings are and how important financial cushions are. And, you know, for me, when I lived before this apartment, I lived in Brooklyn And every time I paid the rent to my landlady, I pay myself a rent check to my savings account. So that's a, that's a key. If you can afford it. And I think you should always think about your living situation where it's affordable. And I know these days that's a challenge for a lot of people. It's getting more Mm -hmm. and more of a challenge to live in certain places. But if you can find something that works your budget, always write yourself a rent check after the fact. That's, that's mission critical. That's why I was able to do what I was doing. So once I got a job in 2017, you know, I found myself out of work by 2019. And again, there were more challenges there, more struggles with the business. This time I was working at an international energy company Mm -hmm. and we had a, a game plan in terms of how we wanted to grow out the renewable energy and distributed energy business that we were establishing. But there were challenges to that too. And being a woman in these sort of male-dominated industries tends to be, it adds difficulty, let's put it that way, to getting work done and, and being up for promotion and managing people and things of that nature. So there was there was an element of that that was going on as well. So I saw myself losing my job in 2019. And I dared the universe actually for this to happen. And that <laughs> opened a door for me to go on this five-week adventure, which I'll talk about a bit about in a minute. But fast forward, came back on this from this five-week adventure, and New York City in 2020 was starting to lock down. Mm-hmm. And here I am now in this apartment I just mentioned, 800 square feet, lack of limited sunlight, inside days on end because of a pandemic now called coronavirus. And here I am in ground zero of it all, right? You know, Queens was literally across the river from where I was. Corona Queens, ironically, was the, the bullseye in New York City for the coronavirus uh, <clears throat> you know, deaths in New York. When you heard a lot about these people struggling and, and, you know, being on respirators, it was in Corona, Queens, it was in Brooklyn, it was, you know, all around the city. And being in New York at that time was an odd, odd time. And while that was happening, my job, you know, here I am taking a new job now for the government. And I'm working from home. 
it was a lot of difficulties in, you know, being remote, even though, you know, this wasn't a job that was necessarily a remote job. So a lot of their infrastructure, a lot of their kind of culture just wasn't working for a remote kind of existence for all of us. And add to that half the team leaving as I joined the company. So there was a lot of massive change going on in this new job I just took after coming back from this adventure and then experiencing the difficulties that were coronavirus for, you know, a period for now what we think two plus years from 2020 onward. And then add to that, you know, a boyfriend that was cheating on me and (laughs) taking money from me and was turned out to have some problems with with substance abuse. So, you know, that all three of those kind of legs of stool added to another period of darkness, deep adversity and difficulty, you know, all the while being by myself for days on end without leaving and no access to sunlight in a tiny square foot, tiny square foot apartment. So that's another kind of avenue of difficulty. But that being said, one day, one fateful day, so here we are now, 2022, I had a fateful conference call where the presence of the company interrupted me mid-sentence of a presentation I was giving and informed me that my job title was going away. And it was very jarring because I'm mid-sentence <laughs> in the beginning. My manager's on the line, head of risk, wow. you know, junior people, and just, it didn't feel right. And, you know, I kind of sat there in silence and processed it, but then carried on with the presentation. And turns out that was the case, you know, at this point, As I mentioned, a lot of people were leaving the organization. I was already on my third manager. I was getting shuffled around different departments. So this was just kind of the last piece of that, you know, difficult puzzle. And after I got off the phone, I started hyperventilating and and crying hysterically in my tiny little kitchen in New York City, fluorescent lights and looking down at the white tiles. And, you know, at this point, I had lost my job three times in seven years, of which half of that time I was unemployed and the half of that time I was employed, right? Because we had a two and a half year period plus some other uh, periods of time. And now I have job uncertainty on the horizon after enduring a two year difficult period of what I just described. And at this point, I kind of like got the courage to say, you know what, you know, in between the heaving and the hyperventilating and the sobbing and the, oh no, this is happening again, fear, right? Concern, you know, uncertainty and feeling uncomfortable and and lack of uh, support now, you know, I kind of picked my head up with certainty. And I said, I'm going to write a book. (laughs) And in three months after that point, I quit my job. And here I am now, uh, 75,000 words in 18 chapters written, I'm nearly done with my first travel adventure memoir, and there's more to come. So the second book that I have in me is going to describe that period of time coming back from this trip, experiencing this hardship that I described, and then rising above it by ways of travel. Yeah, wow. It's an incredible story. And I think when you look at generations, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, the job market was so different. It was one of real stability and you had trust in that. So once you had a position, it was like you knew you would have that position for years and decades to come until you retired. And the world we live in now is so different. There's so much instability. There's so much uncertainty that these stories happen more and more where people think they're in a job that is secure and then the next day it's not. And everything that they were depending on is now gone. And I would love to talk a little bit about how 
we often have these identities that are wrapped up in our careers, wrapped up in what we do for a living, in the job title we have, in the income that we're making from it. Can you talk about how did that identity get rocked in these years of like having a job, not having a job, looking for a job, not getting offers? How was that for you? Yeah, sure. That's a really great question. I'm glad you asked that because, you know, in these periods of job loss, I've been blessed to have opportunities to learn and grow and feel as if I have a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset. So one of the times my friend gave me a book by Carol Dwork called Mindset. It's an excellent book. Highly recommend it. And here I was in that kind of period of two and a half years of you know, depression, sadness, trying my best to have some sort of semblance of hope despite all the difficulties of constant rejection, job rejection. And the takeaway is, do you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset, right? And growth mindset people tend to roll with the punches better. They can accept defeat. They can accept difficulty. They look at it as an opportunity to continue to reinvent. And, and entrepreneurs do really well who have growth mindsets, right? It's another punch. I'll keep rolling with it. You know, I'm just going to enable me to grow, thrive, and open a door that I didn't envision would be opened when I first started this difficult process that I'm going through. So that's, you know, that growth mindset, even keeping that kind of front and center in your mind helps when times are tough and you start to lose a sense of hope and faith. But a fixed mindset, on the other hand, is one where, there's that perfectionism that comes in, right? Fixed. I need to be this way. I have to identify this way. And so I think that's what question you're sort of asking is, you know, do you identify with your career? Do you identify your job title? Do you identify with the paycheck you're making, right? Do you identify even being in New York City in the hustle bustle, right? And that fixed mindset is where people, I think, go astray when job losses and times get tough and challenges come towards them because they're it's harder for them to navigate it's harder for them to roll with the punches you know they're more rigid and that kind of impact it, it cracks them more as opposed to a growth person who has more malleability so when i read that book on my rooftop you know it helped me get through that dark period so to answer your question i know i've had that growth mindset leading up to this 2004 start of this journey that i just described uh, you know being in the renewable energy industry requires a growth mindset and you know a lot of the places i worked in though finance private equity government industry right energy industry utilities industry all of these industries don't bring on a growth mindset they enjoy a position of power, a pseudo-monopoly, right? Uh, they are resisting change because renewable energy ultimately is changing their business model. And so it's very hard. I've said this many times that I believe the renewable energy story, but I think there's a lot of people that have high aspirations and don't really understand the, the hardships that will come when you really get into a career like this a, across all aspects of the career, because you will constantly be facing difficulties and challenges and inertia. And here you have it multiple fold because every single industry I mentioned is impacted by change in the renewable space that resists it. And so those sort of people I worked with had more or less a fixed mindset, even though they're trying to start something new and trying to challenge the status quo. So for me, yeah, there were elements of it. You know, it was nice to identify as a banker on Wall Street. You kind of fit the part with like the purse and the heels and the office and, you know, 
the kind of luxuries that come with it, right? Dinners that are on the company, you know, car services, home, travel around the country to go to a client for the day. And people identify with that. And some people thrive under the kind of umbrella of a banker. And I noticed that as well for titles in other industries too. You know, you're the senior dog in the corner office. And, you know, with that comes sometimes bad behavior and toxic sort of leadership kind of leadership approaches because they want to hold on to their power. They want to hold on to that identity and they have this fixed mindset that they're unable to kind of go with the punches and they're unable to be supportive for the those that are rising up, the future leaders of the organization. And back to what you're saying earlier, you know, this sort of generation that we're in and the Gen Z generation that's coming up, you know, we were the middle office for so long. We were the middle kind of seniority in these organizations. And we were the first always to get carved out. They'll keep the junior folks who are very affordable, if you will, if you look at it that way from a salary standpoint, and they'll keep the senior people. But the in-between, which is always me, they're the ones <laughs> that get pushed out. And so you learn, you lose the opportunity to grow your management skills. You lose the opportunity to really make an impact in your career, you know, work on certain deals and get that experience you need to really kind of get promoted to the next level. We've been... I guess, challenged in that way. And I think there's an element of a growth mindset that has to result because we have to transform and we have to continue to persevere and fight for what we think we want to be. And so back to your question about, you know, that identity, you know, I stayed the course because I wanted to grow this career. I wanted to be a renewable person, but every time I tried, I'd get dinged. So there was that fixed mindset of, yeah, this is me. I identify as this person. And at this point, looking back, you know, an accolade of mine, I touched $30 billion of deals of which I closed 40%. You know, we're talking about 12-ish billion of transactions. So, you know, I've seen a lot, even though I've had the, the, the difficulty. And so there's some good that has come from that. I learned a lot about business. I learned a lot about deal making. I learned a lot about these sort of solar projects and the renewable energy story more broadly. But with that, though, I think at one point you have to realize when it's time to throw in the towel. And that's that surrender point that I had in 2022 in my kitchen. And there was reasons why I was empowered to finally say no more. Because I mentioned in 2019, I dared the universe to, to lose my job. And this is what book number one is about. So I start the scene out where I'm walking with my high heels, where my office was in downtown Manhattan by Wall Street. And my friend calls me in the New Jersey office and she goes, did you hear layoffs are coming? And I said, ah, it's not going to be me. <laughs> and so I was very confident about that. And this is roughly around Halloween, three-ish years ago, four-ish years ago now. And I was already going to Morocco in early 2020, January, for a bachelorette party. So I already had 10 days on the calendar for vacation. And my friend Michelle, she posed a question to me after I found out there could be some layoffs, but I was still disillusioned. Nah, that's not me. She wanted to go to Peru in the Amazon rainforest. And she said to me, do you want to come with me? It's two weeks in the middle of nowhere in a temple where we'll be working with the Shabibo shamans and we'll be taking seven ceremonies of ayahuasca, psychedelic plant medicine. And I never touched any psychedelics in my life. At this point, we're talking, I'm almost 40 years old. I rarely smoke marijuana, never touched any hard drugs. You know, alcohol was mainly my thing socially in New York City, going out to the clubs. 
so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty kind of green with all this stuff, literally. And I said to my friend, Michelle, I said, well, if I get laid off, I'll think about it. And so I challenged the universe because there's some very powerful undertones to the story because psychedelics, obviously there's, there's a revolution going on where it's addressing traumas and it's healing Mm -hmm. and it's plant medicine, it's connection to nature, it's the grounding and there's a calling for it. And here I am getting called and I'm like, eh, haha. And I found I lost my job within a week of that conversation. And I also found out I was on the list as a last minute addition. And it worked out so much where the flight I needed to be on to Peru, to Lima, was perfectly aligned with the flight that I was coming home from in Casablanca in Morocco. So I have a moment in my book where I'm standing on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean on the African continent in Morocco, and I'm watching the sunset. And I know that I'm literally getting on a plane within hours. I'm going to be flying over this Atlantic Ocean and landing in New York City at JFK Airport. And transferring, getting my luggage, going to the next terminal, saying hello to Michelle, getting back on the plane to Lima, and going to another continent that is South America, all in a 24-hour time frame. And next thing I know, I'm in the Amazon rainforest. So that just happened to work out perfectly. And here I am now doing the work it takes to get familiar quickly with what ayahuasca is, what's psychedelics, what is this healing modality? And ayahuasca is known to be the Mount Everest of psychedelics. It's not even like an easy, you know, kind of mild <laughs> ease into it. This is the the psychedelic, you know, it's DMT. And we're doing it with the, the wisdom keepers, the time-honored traditions that they've had for many, many, many millennia. And they too use it for their own traumas. You know, the conquistadors, the smallpox, you know, the rubber trade that had been plaguing them in the industrial era. And that's their mode of healing, their mode of trauma, you know, addressing their trauma. So here they are opening their wisdoms to us Westerners as a way to help themselves because they're under siege now with, you know, the loggers, deforestation, oil companies, petroleum companies coming in, climate change, other sort of issues. And so by them helping us, it helps them to get the word out. And that was one of the takeaways I learned in this experience. I also tacked on afterwards going to Bolivia and Southern Peru. So this was a five-week adventure that I that I created, all the while completely removed from the world for five weeks, only, only to come back and see that New York City shutting down because of coronavirus. So I left when things were perfectly fine, came back to a world that's changed. And then onward, knowing that my mind's been opened, awakened, expanded through psychedelic learning spiritually in my heart. You know, I met God. There were so many wonderful learnings I got from that. I addressed my traumas. I addressed traumas I didn't even know, but most of those traumas were work related. And here I am crying in the Maloka, screaming, you know, those job losses had an impact in my psyche and my deep, deep, deep into my cellular level. Even 9-11, you know, watching those towers fall in New York City, you know, 9-11 still has an impact on all of us New Yorkers, even to today. So having that come through in ceremony and feeling the the trauma of that again, of witnessing your world literally crashing down, not recognizing what this world is going to be ultimately from a terrorist attack. So obviously my heart's going out to people today around the world who are experiencing terrorist attack because you're not going to be the same. Right. It's always going to be a hurt in your heart. However, one thing I did learn is that underground, they're doing a lot of ayahuasca ceremonies for Israeli and Palestinians right now. That's actually something that they're trying to work on to help bring peace into the region. 
psychedelic sort of journeys. They're also doing it with the indigenous and the industrialists in, in, in South America. And they're also doing it quietly with some politicians around the world. So mm-hmm. it's having power. These plant medicines are coming to the mainstream, not by accident. There's a wisdom that is here with these plant medicines. They're teacher plants. And this is, I truly believe this is how we heal the polarity that is plaguing the whole world right now. It's an appreciation of nature. It's a connection to the earth. And it's an awareness in a way that we just don't realize because it's a different way of looking at things. It's a different perspective, you know, seeing it from a psychedelic lens and meeting the entities, God, and other sort of loving wisdoms that come from it. It just really fundamentally turns everything upside down and it challenges everything, you know, and it gives you a lot of hope. Wow. There's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> Let's I, mean, I could definitely go down a whole road about psychedelics, but to stay on target, you talk about coming back to the US and the world has suddenly changed. And it makes me think about this experience that you're having almost simultaneously of you prior to all of this identified in one way and you were a a very obviously very capable business person. You had navigated waters of being unemployed before, but were able to still move forward through that and know that like, at the end of the day, this is still who you are. You're very capable. And then you lose this job again, and then you go off on this adventure. And I, it just makes me think that like the world is changing, but then so are you. And, and what it forces really is for you to look not only at that first layer of identity of, oh, this is what I do for work. You know, I'm in renewable energies or I'm a banker or I'm whatever it is that someone identifies as that title, but to peel back that layer and look at what's left, because there's always something below that. There's always something deeper that is part of your identity, whether people recognize it or not. And so for you to be able to unearth that and think like, okay, travel is part of who I am, whether that was a conscious recognition at the time or not, but then to be able to have the courage to follow that identity and see where is this going to take me and know that like letting go of this other part of you is going to be okay. And yeah, I think that there's like a lot of emotions that come with that process, but it's an important one to talk about the, the ways that we can discover who we are beneath the upper layer of what we see. Oh, sure. And yeah, you're reminding me of kind of that moment of time in those two and a half years of struggle, right? Of always trying to find a job and the rejection after rejection, you know, willingness to leave New York City. I would go anywhere who would have me, even out outside the country. I applied to jobs. I applied to jobs in the Philippines and in Uzbekistan. <laughs> I remember <laughs> there was a Uzbekistan. Oh, I'll do it. I was, I need a job, you know, in the renewable space. And that kind of constant rejection really takes a toll because it it does challenge your identity. Here I am coming from the best of the schools, both my undergrad and my MBA, top tier schools. Here I am, you know, with a stellar resume, right? And it's not working. Something's mm-hmm. not working. And is it me personally? You know, right. that you take things personally because what am I doing wrong? What else can I be doing? Why am I not good enough? Why do I keep losing my job? And, and so a lot of what I learned too through those job adversities is the persistence and the importance of networking. You know, your net wor- work is your net worth. Mm-hmm. And my friend always wants to remind me about that. And who comes out and helps during times of adversity and who surprisingly 
doesn't show up to help. When you ask, you know, can I have an introduction here? This person works at this company. Is there a way you can help enable an introduction so I could learn more ahead of the interview? Things like that, right? You know, does anyone know who's looking for a job? Really in these sort of industries, you really want to get a job ahead of the job posting. So Mm. that networking that you do, talk to anybody and everybody, you know, get your resume out there, give them bullet points, give them some sort of elevator pitch so they can talk about you on your behalf in the ways that you want to showcase, right? So that was one takeaway I had was, you know, the persistence of getting out and sometimes it feels like hat in hand groveling, like, please, I'm, I'm out of work. Like I need help. Can you help me? And some people feel uncomfortable and some people have never experienced that. So they are a little callous to you, especially the interviewer. Why do you have a two-year gap in your resume? That's suggesting I'm not good enough. So there's a lot of things that work against you. But I think the importance is to create a community of people who you could bounce ideas off of, who are also going through the same thing, a way to practice, a way to review resumes, a way to look out for one another. But that's, I think, any sort of takeaway in life too, you know, because it's the community that gets you through the dark moments. And in my case, you know, I stayed home a lot by myself in my apartment, just like I did during the coronavirus days. And it gets lonely. I can really empathize with people who, you know, are are by themselves for long periods of time. It, It can take a toll on your mental health. And then so what got me out of it somewhat is my Bold Adventures passion project. So gravitating towards things that make you happy, right? Because that's ultimately what I'm learning is you've got to do what makes you happy at the end of the day. Don't stick with what you should be doing or what your resume tells you need to do or, you know, your your financial situation. Oh, I make good money. It's the golden handcuffs, actually. That's not really a good thing. It doesn't help grow you as a human being, as your capabilities, your character, because we do need diversity. We do need struggle in our lives because this is when you can appreciate things when you get through the gauntlet. It's the hero's journey story. That's every story. That's a fun story in the world, past, present, and future is, you know, that that one who perseveres and gets through the gauntlet. And so for me, My love has been travel. And as I mentioned, all these periods of adversity through job loss and job difficulty too. These jobs I were in were very stressful, you know, long hours. Sometimes you're pulling all-nighters, high stress. I need this by tomorrow. By the way, it's a hundred pages long. You're you're deliverable, right? And plus I was getting my MBA part-time two and a half years while I was working a hundred hour work week. So that add that to the burnout and the stress of that existence that allowed, it opened a door for me to kind of have a balance. And that balance was scuba diving. It was getting around the world. And there's something very important. Again, I talk about nature, when you connect with nature, you know, it's one thing to forest bathe, go walking in the woods with bare feet, you know, hug a tree. There's great things that are there for you to kind of let out steam and feel balanced again and let your emotions kind of regulate. There's another, when you scuba dive, the water, It has very powerful electromagnetic properties and minerals, and it allows you to get into this very deep meditative Zen state. And especially when you're neutrally buoyant and you're hovering in the coral reefs and all you're doing is looking for fish and sharks and whatever else. And it's like a way to meditate very deeply. And, you know, those sort of things were my saving graces during these very, very stressful times. And then while I was out of work, I kind of decided I'm going to continue to travel. And that's allowed me to have the travel resume that I have with Emboldened Adventures. So in that period of two and a half years, 
I learned how to create a website. I taught myself how to start an LLC. I trademarked. I learned graphic software. I started a podcast. These are all things to kind of get my mind off the fact that no jobs are coming my way. And I was having a lot of problems writing, blogging. You know, it was a fun, awesome, excitable outlet for me that actually helped balance the darkness. So following through in your passions, following through your joy, showing up and trying to challenge yourself into starting something new and tinkering around and seeing what works from a creative angle were very much important ways to kind of get through the hard times. That's such great advice that people need to look at what in their life brings them joy and not look at it from a business angle. What do I like that's going to make me money? But just what do you like and what gives you that sense of joy and excitement? And go forward with that without any expectation of where it's going to bring you and how you're going to make money from it. Because somehow things do evolve in a way that will transform your life. And then you'll be more fulfilled eventually when you're able to figure out how that fits in with your purpose and what you can do from there. Because I find so many people have that experience where if you just allow yourself with an open mind to go towards whatever that is for you, it will open more doors later on. And you just have to have some of that faith in in what's to come. And so along those lines, I know you went from all of these hardships and then that period when COVID was happening and things were really hard and you started, you mentioned the website and the podcast and everything. What does your life look like now? How is it different from those times of despair and, you know, constantly just sending out resumes and hoping that someone else would provide you with an opportunity? You know, I want to go back to that point where I was in my kitchen sobbing, hyperventilating, because I saw the writing on the walls. This is happening again. I've been here before. I've been here. I know what this looks like. It's not good. And I had already had the kind of personal transformations from the ayahuasca. I'm going through my next set of challenges, as I mentioned, coronavirus and otherwise. And that emboldened me, my favorite word, emboldened adventures. That emboldened me because I probably had it been prior to going to the rainforest. I would have stuck it out and probably would have saw something that was something would have developed in the way I would have liked. Still insisting on it happening the way I want it to happen, right? And you have to let things flow. The universe will deliver the, the, the beautiful benefits and the wonderful blessings if you let it flow. So what you were saying earlier about, you know, joy, right? And not worrying about the monetary effects that come from it, right? That's really ultimately what you do is you just find faith in what feels right and just Keep going with it, keep training yourself, keep you know, becoming a student of it. And it begins to open doors because the universe doesn't like voids. When you start getting rid of things that don't work, don't serve you anymore, you've grown out of, you know, in my case, my career wasn't working over and over and over again. You know, when you create those voids, beautiful things start to fill them because you've now instructed your subconscious that this is what makes me happy. This is what gets me getting out of bed every morning. This is what I will dedicate an all night or two, as opposed to someone telling me what to do in a toxic work environment. You know, there's more that comes from it and more growth and opportunity back to the growth mindset. So you're right. Like here I am standing in the kitchen. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. This isn't working. And so I embarked on another adventure. I took uh, a leave of absence and I went with priestesses and medicine men and energy healers from around the country and the world. And so that's what I did. I went on three different adventures with the time I gave myself. I went to North Dakota. I started in uh, California. 
I did a women's retreat and good whale energy, good monarch butterfly energy, you know, the, the redwood forests. I was out there. And then I moved on to Teotihuacan in Mexico with the shamans that are there, the Toltec shamans. They are the brothers, the sons of Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote the book, The Four Agreements. So they do retreats at Teotihuacan. So I did that. And then I went onward to Colorado, Wyoming, and North and South Dakota to see my Native American medicine man and, and work with the wolves and do all these great things with the spirits of Bear Butte and Devil's Tower. So I was doing a lot of Native American work with him. And then I came back basically saying, you know what? I quit. I quit. And and I challenged myself to write a book, but I hadn't done it yet. But that trip in Colorado in particular is where I started meeting some people and I was able to create my tribe. And again, this is because I dared the universe. I get goosebumps. That's validation. Uh, it delivers. It delivers in a way I didn't anticipate. I just said I was going to write a book, but I didn't have a plan. And now I hear I am coming back, you know, empowered. And I started writing after I quit. I quit in May of 2022 and I started writing and I took the journals I had from my travels and the YouTube transcript videos I made online in Bold and Adventures channel. And I've turned it into my manuscript. I have a book coach. I have a, a beautiful example of artwork that I've done. Well, I found the artist in the Amazon rainforest and I commissioned a piece for him to paint. And that's going to be the cover of my book. It shows what Mama Ayahuasca looks to me under the psychedelic world. And it was amazing to see in the cafe in Iquitos because I was like, this is exactly, exactly what I saw. So I want to take that image and, and make it the cover of my book, which he's done, the painter in, in, in Peru. So I've amassed all these beautiful contributors to this idea I had. And now I just became an international public speaker. I, I went up to Canada and I did a speaking competition and I nailed it. I came in fifth place, all about talking about adversity and how I decided to write a book. And now it's opened some interesting doors that I really can't say much yet, but it's exceeded my expectations and my imagination into what can really happen. And a lot of it is, you know, even though my job has been very fractured, my career kind of trajectory has been fits and starts. I have a well-rounded background for business mm -hmm. and underwriting and execution and polished presentation, right? You know, as a banker, you got to pitch to very high C-suite decision makers and, you know, Fortune 500 organizations. And you learn what it's like to present. You, le you learn what it's like to be polished and, and clear in your communication, both written and verbal. And so all that coming together as skills I've amassed over time, even though my career, you can argue, is kind of all over the place, it's now put me in a position of power, put me in a position of opportunity. So you have experience, and now here's your chance to leverage it in a way that's unique, that's your own, and what's it's within your authenticity. Because if you look at me, I don't look like a banker. And my friend who I met in the rainforest, who's British, came to see me in New York, I think a year and a half later. And I was showing her around New York City, like, oh, this is my office. This is we're in a taxi. And she goes, I can't picture you with a suit. I can't picture you with heels. I can't picture you with like all that. You know, you're Sarah from the rainforest, <laughs> you know? So a lot of people are now kind of seeing the true me coming through. And you could see it because there's joy emanating from me rather than being a scowling, angry New Yorker who's constantly stressed out and ready to punch somebody, you know? <laughs> I lack of sleep and mad that like, you know, I got to work another two freaking hours and I had dinner plans, you know, and my work's getting crushed. So 
you know, that shifted and it shifted naturally because I dared the universe. I told the powers that be spiritually. I'm like, no more, put my foot down. No more, enough is enough. And that is my takeaway that you can find joy and you can find relief from adversity and you can Mm. create something out of an idea out of nothing and still go with it. And now you have faith and trust right? To, to listen to that inner, that Northern star, that inner compass, that guiding light. Like, yeah, this feels right. Cause I know that stuff felt wrong. Even though I was making a lot of money, just didn't feel right. This feels right. Makes me happy. And it's opening doors. I didn't imagine the growth mindset. Yeah. That's awesome. It's definitely a long way from working on wall street as a banker. <laughs> You're definitely in a different place than that. And probably a different place than you ever envisioned for yourself when you were 20 and in college. And I love that for you. I love that you've created this life for yourself. If people want to see more of your travels and more of your business, where can they find that information? They can go on my website, emboldenadventures.com, E-M-B-O-L-D-E-N, Adventures with an S. And there's some information about my upcoming book there. And you can subscribe to the newsletter. And I'm on social media, you know, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. So yeah, there's lots of ways to follow along on the adventure. And there's always more to come. And now that I'm a speaker, I'm going to be doing more speaking circuits and motivational, you know, motivational through travel. And I think my story, my experiences, I'm already seeing, you know, I can see I'm making touch points to help encourage others. to. It's okay. When you have tough times, you can get through. I hope you enjoyed listening to Sarah's life transformation and maybe found some inspiration in the wide possibilities this life holds for each of us. Every kind of grief we experience will change us, and we may look back years from now living a life we never dreamed would be ours. And if grief teaches us anything, it is that life is unpredictable and our time is never guaranteed. I hope this leaves you feeling inspired to follow whatever dream for your life you hold close to your heart. For today's journal prompt, write about your dream life. What from that dream can be actualized? Like always, let the writing lead you in whatever direction it takes. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure you subscribe, share this episode with anyone who could benefit from it. And as always, visit Remembergrams anytime you need to send a little love to someone who is grieving. Thank you and have a wonderful day.